All right, well, it should be fine. Who knows? Who knows? Um, got a dog looking himself over here. We got. I don't even want to know where he's looking himself. We're just gonna let that go. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll just let that go. Um, okay. I mean, I, I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Welcome to the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, presented by Cinema Summit. A podcast about the art of making films, no matter how small the budget. And now, here are your hosts, Alex Dark and Trevor L. Nelson. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is episode 25 of the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, and I am Trevor L. Nelson. And I'm Alex Dark, and today we will be talking with Eric Scott Johnson and Eric Mashila, the writer and director, double Eric duo, behind the indie film... Camp Mana. But first, what are you drinking? Well, more beer. Uh, yep, of course. We still have a case left of the Kona, Kona Brewing Company. Yep. Um, so that's going to be drinking. Uh, um, yeah, I'm going to be drinking a lot while you're gone. Plus, we haven't we haven't had the opportunity to uh, to purchase an ice machine that mm-hmm. is of my high standards. He does have high standard ice machines. We have ice in the fridge uh, that I bought from the store. But it probably tastes like Freon by now. You think so? You think it, the the Freon uh, leaks into it? Yeah, I think so. I think you're kind of probably mistaken. right. I think you're. I think you're, you're right. a little anal retentive about your ice. Why didn't you drink it today? Uh, okay, I felt like a beer. You know, I felt like a mm, beer. Nice little refreshing beer, especially when we had some Chinese food. Mm. My dog is going to town on his leg. What is he doing? Hold on. Good doggy. What a weird puppy. Um, All right, so now that we got past that whole thing, because it's so obvious that we drink the same thing week in and week out, what's new? Well, speaking of when Alex is gone, I'm going to be drinking a lot of beer. Mm -hmm. Alex is going on his honeymoon. Yay! Yay! Alex, tell them what you've won. An all-expenses trip paid to... To Greece. Yay, check that out. Yep. The Greek islands. The Greek islands. Santorini and Mykonos in oh, Athens. It's not, an, not one of the <laughs> islands, but you got to go there first. Oh, man. You'll be very surprised if you think Athens is an island. Yeah, I know. Um, what are you most excited about? Well, I'm pretty excited about some euros. Yeah. Delicious um, euros. For those who haven't traveled out of the country much, let me tell you, if you're a fan of food, traveling just becomes a food fest. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I went to Japan, I just ate the whole time. When I went to India, ate the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's delicious and fantastic. Yeah. Yep. I'm imagining lots of um, calamari, some oh. lamb. You need to get some lamb. You need to get some uh, wood fire grilled octopus. Definitely. Just, oh, man. Oh. Apparently, they have delicious pastries filled with feta mm, cheeses. They probably have some baklava. 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 Very excited. Which is delicious, so I'd say check that out as well. Yep. Um, so, yeah, um, that's cool. exciting, man. I'm happy for you. It's oh, been thanks. a while since you took a vacation. Man, And you've been annoying been the fuck out of me about it's it. It's been forever. <laughs> the last vacation I went on was probably two or three years ago. Man, that's a, that's a while. Actually, that, that might be about the same time. Well, I'm trying to think when I went to India. I think two years ago I went to India. Yeah. yeah, so I'm about the same with you. That's probably why I'm so fucking surly. Yeah. Oh, 
Yep. Well, hopefully you come back refreshed. The weight of the world weighs upon us. <laughs> yes. We're so important and so busy that we just have no time to relax, um, but we just drink. Um, so, yeah. well, hopefully... No time to relax in between my naps. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nap sounds great right now. Um, well, hopefully you enjoy yourself and come back Thank nice you. and ref- refreshed to take on the world again. Yes. Or have the world take you on and destroy one you again. Them. Another two or three years until you need another one. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, also, uh, a little news, we're going to be working with Film Skills to bring you some exciting content. Um, you know, not a lot of people know what Film Skills is because they kind of cater towards universities. Yeah. They do a lot of coursework in filmmaking and all that that they give to universities to, you know, mm-hmm. teach the students. Yeah. But actually, I mean, they also write a lot of books. Yeah. And um, yep. they were one of the earlier kind of online courses that I found when I was Back in perusing. the day. Uh, so I was uh, a member of Film Skills way back in the day. Yeah. And they got some good stuff. They do, they do. So we're going to partner up with them and deliver some content to their users and then to our fans of Cinema Summit. So we're going to uh, start that probably when Alex gets back because mm-hmm. uh, I have a lot of stuff to do while he's gone. And so it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be yeah. kind of busy while he's gone. And then also I want to let you guys know that uh, next week... We are going to have an interview with Greg Gertmanian. Yeah, head of development at Slated.com. Oh, man. So for those of you who do not know what Slated is, it's kind of, you know, it started out as almost a way to get funding for your film, but now it's kind of an all-around film service provider. Yeah, they help you package your film. um, Script coverage. Script coverage. Script rating. Introductions to investors. That giant sound was my dog deciding to lay down. Um, yeah, they do it all. They, they'll take your script and they will rate it, uh, from one to a hundred and then they will help you package it along with other people, uh, with producers, directors, actors, and then send it out to, um, send it out to potential investors and get your movies hopefully made. Yeah. It's a pretty cool service, pretty cool website. So we're excited to have him on next week. Yeah. This week we have... Dual Eric's. Dual Eric's. <laughs> indie filmmakers. Man, that sounds like a sweet like superhero name, Dual Eric's. If Dual Eric Eric's. was like a weapon. That's true. And I got Dual Eric's. Man. Yeah. It could also be like a band. Oh, that's a good one. But knowing millennials, it'll be Dual Eric's and one guy's name is Steve and one na- guy's name is Tobin. Totally. And yeah, like, yeah. we're the two Eric's. It's like, what is this? It's just, it's clever. Yeah. No. It's like, like, uh, like Jethro Tull. <laughs> like, what? What? I would say Steely. I thought that was a person. I would say Steely Dan, but uh, we don't need to get into what that was named <laughs> after. Um, so yeah, so we so have yeah, we an interview the du- with them. Duo Eric's, um, the Eric duo. Yeah, so uh, Camp Mana is, they're going to explain a little bit, um, but Camp Mana is just kind of a, a coming-of-age story. You know, it's kind of in the vein of Meatballs and uh, heavyweights. heavyweights. Big fans of both those movies. Those old I camp, love camp, camp uh, films. Yeah. I mean, they just remind me of my childhood. Not not because I went to a ton of camps, to be honest. <laughs> I was say, but just how because many camps did I watched, I went to Sea Camp. That was the one camp I went to. Sea Camp. Yeah. Is that like Sea Org for Scientology? Um. Yeah. It's very similar, except um, they take children out to the sea and throw them in, mm, and then then you have to come back to shore swimming, and that's how you learned how to swim. Yeah. Oh man, that's fantastic. Good. Pretty good. Yeah. So uh, yeah, sit back and enjoy the interview. All right, we're here with Eric Scott Johnson and Eric Mishila, the writers and Nailed directors of Good Camp job. Mana. Thanks <laughs> for joining us, Thanks for guys. Joining us. Yeah, hey, how's it going? 
Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. No problem. No, I'm going to start off and say both named Eric. We're going to screw it up during this podcast and you know yeah. ask a question. How did that work on set when both of you were Eric unless you had nicknames? Yeah. Well, we've been working together since 04. So we've sort of got a... Unless we're angry with each other and use the first and middle name. Uh-oh. Of course. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> No, like I, I've always just called Eric Johnson E or EJ. That's sort of what he's known around at Gorilla and in our community. And then, yeah, I kind of just go by Mashila. So oh, we, perfect. Surnames are quite a, quite a delight. Mashila and EJ. That's what we'll call you this whole time. But I'm going to screw it up. I know it will. So I apologize already. <laughs> yep. Um. So how about you guys give us a little bit of your backgrounds and how you each got started in the film industry and what you've done and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we started working together in 2004. Um, We actually kind of started working together on accident, to be honest with you. We both ended up interning on a feature film set in Atlanta and um, ended up in the same department making behind-the-scenes videos for DVDs when those were a thing. We were fresh out of a (laughs) kind of quasi-film school, not to go too deep into that debate. But um, it was a it was a paid entry to an internship, uh, but nice. you know what? It worked out, and uh, we met there and ended up having a couple opportunities to create some uh, documentary stuff overseas, and took them. Um, and one thing led to another, and um, kind of the rest is history. We ended up uh, getting more and more opportunities, and and kind of building a company around that in reaction to it. Um, but it really started with obviously, you know, just sort of having a lot in common, liking to work together. And, and I think too, probably, although we didn't know it at the time, really having skill sets that augmented each other well, um, you know, similar passions, but different talents. Yeah. So I was going to ask how you guys work with the, the dual director on set. Do you guys, what are your specific talents that you, you think you, uh, that makes you guys mesh together really well. Yeah, it came together a little organically, I would say, because I don't know what it was going to, we didn't know what it was going to look like. We just knew that we both needed to direct this. We did a short film based on this back in 05. And I remember the way we did that one specifically is I also like DP'd it because we were shooting everything on 16 back then because we were cool, you know? Yeah, <laughs> nice. Nailed it. You know, it's a really smart idea to spend nine grand on 16 millimeter stock and then realize you don't have enough to transfer it properly. So you just put it to mini, mini DV. <laughs> <laughs> We've been there. Been there. We comes, know that. <laughs> comes back compressed and stretched. It looks awesome. Um, but yeah, we did that. And then on that set in particular, I remember it was younger kids. Eric likes kids. I'm afraid of them. So he, he worked with the talent a lot on that one in particular. And then I did more of the shot breakdown stuff and coverage. Okay. On this one, it was a little bit of a combo. Um, Eric worked with a couple actors specifically. I worked with a couple actors more specifically based on how we, cause when you cast, that's the big thing about when you, I even have, have had it with movies that we've done. We did two other independent movies before this one and we produced those. But I found some of the talent. And when you're the first person to be the point of contact for talent, like there is, there's like a kinship that can grow there a little bit. There's a trust that starts immediately over the first, you know, lunch. So that kind of, I think, is one of the reasons that on set for Camp Man of the Feature, we had um, 
this isn't this is obviously not the case all the time, but there were a couple people in particular that Eric J worked with more and people that I worked with more. Um, and then we also are producers on the film. Ask them which one's name rhymed with Rary Rusi. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask. That must have been a trip. Because oh, yeah, that was his job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Carrie Lucy was great. She's really great. <laughs> um, no, yeah. Busey, when you met Busey, Busey didn't awesome. even know that Eric, Eric J was on set. <laughs> no, I, I don't even know that he knew that there were two directors. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. That sounds like Busey. So give, give us a, a brief synopsis yeah. of the of Camp Mana and how the idea came about. Yeah. Oh yeah, Mashila, feel free mm. to take that one. Tagged in. <laughs> Tagged in. If, if you don't have it, I'll go for it. But no, uh, yeah. So this idea, we both grew up in West Michigan, and that's Grand Rapids, Holland area everything's named after something that's dutch reformed paul schrader's <laughs> from here paul schrader's from west grand rapids and first reformed is a lot of, out of that experience actually so he we kind of grow up in, in and eric J has said and it's true because i looked it up in wikipedia you can actually if you if you look up bible belt it'll give you all the good old bible belt areas that we all know so well and stay clear of i'm kidding and then um <laughs> But then we also, it says an enclave of the Bible Belt is West Michigan, like Grand Rapids and Holland, which is, it specifically labels the two cities that both Eric and I live in. Nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, we grew up, Eric grew up homeschool in a bubble, nice conservative evangelical bubble culture, which we can get into if you like. He's very, <laughs> that's a whole other movie and idea. And then I grew up going to more traditional, you know, youth groups and church camps and Christian high school and everything. So it really was a right what you know when we first got to know each other back in when we met in summer of 02 and then we started working together more regularly in 04, 05. We wanted to make a film that would, you know, quote, change the world because that's what all of our sh short films do, right? Sure. Of course. Um, and we thought, well, what do we both know? What do we want to write about? And then we came up with the idea pretty simply and quickly about something that would take place with a church group that would be satirical. Uh, Saved had come out the year before, and that the McKelly Calkin Gina Malone movie that takes place at the high school, Christian high school, Mandy Moore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was, that was a big influence, I think, that had come out a year before we started thinking about what we wanted to do. And I think we said, we want to do something like Saved. There's not a lot of that stuff out there. Um, but that's probably the direct, most direct comp for us too. But the film itself is about a, a small, very small, <laughs> you know, prepubescent teen type kid who shows up at the camp, Christian, Christian camp as the only non-Christian. And as a result, he's suddenly and quickly identified as the odd one out and two counselors who it would behoove them both, uh, personally and professionally, if you will, to save his soul, start to compete to try to win his affection and, you know, win him for Jesus. <laughs> so that's uh, throw in the fact that Gary Busey is the camp director, runs the camp <laughs> oh, as an ex Vietnam War veteran. Love it. Who found who found Jesus in Vietnam <laughs> during, during a near death experience, and then um, they all compete in a series of like biblically themed Olympiad events known as the God Games like the What Would Jesus Do quiz show, 
and the uh, Last Supper eating contest. <laughs> and it, it is uh, it is satire in, in that. Um, one thing I wanted to add to that is you know going back to what motivated the film. Um, you know, Eric and I we wanted to create something together. We obviously both were big fans of comedy, which is you know n- not easy for sure and probably not a good place to start quite frankly as a young filmmaker but it was something that that we loved um but we were trying to find something that was economical right and and that isn't as romantic but you know we really began with you know what can we make that makes sense on a budget and we can you know get the most production value out of and we both really loved camp film genres like heavyweights and you know meatballs exactly you know going back saw this yeah, um, th- I mean, that was our jam oh, and really man. influenced us so much, especially like the look and feel. I still like pine over the look of meatballs like that is the quintessential camp. <laughs> but but we looked at it. And we went, you know, if we do a film and at the time thinking of a short film, even before this, you know, on a camp, we can eat there and sleep there. And, you know, we can also build a pretty good vibe there you know, which will help comedy as far as, you know, quickly getting actors comfortable with each other and all that sort of stuff. And we can do it more economically because we don't have to leave. Now, there's plenty of things we've learned about that since in making the feature, but I think in essence it holds true. We really shrunk our environment. And so filming at the camp was sort of our version of, you know, making the entire movie in a house, right? Like it was a one location sort of idea that you know was just expanded to an environment mm-hmm. i mean that that is what it kind of like from uh, you know us being no budget filmmakers and running a podcast called no budget filmmaking that was one of our biggest things was why shooting a camp and that it we we shot a feature film that was all took place in like a cabin in tahoe and it was that exact, exact same idea if yeah you can shrink it down have your cast and crew kind of live on premises and almost reduce the number of places you have to shoot and rent and all that, it kind of just makes your movie budget explode a little bit more and, and a little more flexible. It, it really yeah. did. And, I mean, there's all sorts of byproducts to that, right? Like, we would sleep in these, like, you know, children-sized <laughs> beds. And the ca- I mean, the amount of days that I woke up with squirrels running around inside the cabin, like, no exaggeration, <laughs> uh, there was a handful of them, and it was terrifying. Um, but yeah, they, I think the... Go for no, it. I was gonna yeah. say we, we shot it. We, we shot a all boys camp on an all girls camp, actually. <laughs> oh, nice. really? So if you look at if you look at the bunks and all the writing on the f- ceilings and floors in the bunks, it's like Sophie, nineteen ninety three. And it's like, yeah. Uh, in fact, the movie's supposed to kind of take place in that. You know, it's the uh, yeah, it, we don't specifically say when, but it. It's got VHS cameras and yeah. and yeah. Um, digital watches and stuff, so it, it takes place in that eighties nineties range. And what? what Although was Christians the, uh... are usually about, we were saying Christians are usually about a decade behind everything, so it might actually be like two thousand eight, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's funny. Um, Bring them a DVD, so... and they just freak out. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, DVD player! Wow. So <laughs> the, but yeah, the uh, the 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 beds themselves were for. Nine-year-old girls, <laughs> and Eric, John- Eric Johnson is about six three, six four or so, and so. Oh man, fantastic! He took- <laughs> yeah. Did did everyone? But honestly, it was awesome. It it lent itself so much to um, 
the community. We didn't have a lot of rehearsal time. Yeah. And by doing it this way, I would say it is a byproduct even, you know, whether the cameras are running or not, the camp vibe just sort of continued all the way through. And we even had actors that, you know, we wrapped them out and they just didn't go home. They just stayed for another week. And, just, you know, it was like, well, the cabin's already paid for it. You can hang out if you want. Yeah. So it, it created this great vibe that I think really helped accelerate, like, the interplay between the, the actors because we didn't have as much rehearsal time as we needed, which is pretty common with a small indie film, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with Joey, Joey Morgan was, like, he wrapped out, who played Gordo, who's, like, the cynical classic camp trope kid yeah like you know you're killing smalls kind of guy from, from <laughs> um, and he he actually showed up on set or, uh, to the camp the day before we started and he walked up wearing a you're killing me smalls t-shirt fantastic pretty cool so he totally got what he was doing sure. um <laughs> but yeah like it was after we wrapped him out and uh we wrapped him out on a friday and then it was actually the friday before labor day so we had a couple days there labor day weekend and then we start shooting again on Labor Day, and I look over, and he's sitting there on set, like, you know, cigarette in mouth, camera in hand, taking pictures, and I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, ah, I didn't want to leave. So I was like, okay. I want to, I want to, there was a general, can I stay for the rap party vibe going on, which nice. was pretty cool. Nice. Nice. Um, and then, like, somebody like, somebody like, to Eric's point, to the camaraderie and trust, you just can't, and, and no budget filmmaking, when you are working in SAG. I mean, I guess you can if you know them really well and you can cheat the G sheets there. Yeah. But when it comes to actually doing it properly, um, you know, you're supposed to pay for every day they travel and every day they're rehearsing or working, of course, which makes sense. I totally get why that is and it's yeah. a thing, but with a no budget, no budget or low budget, you know, film. It's like, go, it's we tough, can't pay so. you. Go, go, just leave the set. Uh, it's totally stunk because people show up and they didn't know each other. They didn't trust each other yet yeah. Yeah. on camera. So we actually have said like, there's just, there's a couple scenes from the first day. We actually shot the first day. We did the first day really simply. Um, the, in terms of like performance based stuff, mm -hmm. the only, the only person that we did the sweat box scene on the first day where Joey leans oh, wow. in and gives a great performance, but but he's a he's d done a lot of movies and TV stuff now, so we didn't worry about him. But yeah, it took us about two or three days before suddenly people realized what we were doing and that gave them the time to trust each other. And then Jimmy Tatro, who was twenty two or twenty three at the time, um, you know, it was, it was three years ago now. Jeez. But he showed up and he was like, he was just kind of like, you could tell at first he was like, all right, what am I doing here? Yeah. Who are these people? You know when you roll on takes of Busey standing on the lakeshore screaming at the kids and you have a lot of the actors are wired up but they're not on camera and so they're walking around just talking to their buddies on their phones there's a pretty good one where I hear because when we were editing I'm like what is that in the background and I isolated the channel and it was Jimmy talking to one of his buddies back in Cali and I'm sure he, he wouldn't mind me telling this I can promise you and he just was like yeah I don't I don't know I'm in Michigan he's like <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's like when he's like yeah Busey's here which is hilarious and he goes off on that then, um, but I think I didn't see it until the second or third day and it really involved honestly like a night of campfires and beers a couple whiskeys and it was like 
after that and you start to know each other, laugh together, he shows up on set the next day and he's like, I'm here to have fun. I trust these guys now. You know, so that's what the yeah. camp brought in a really interesting way. That's really cool. As well. That's really was, mm-hmm. were you expecting that or was it just one of those things where it's like, hey, you know what, we gotta get these guys. We're gonna use the the uh use the situation as it is and try and build from it. Yeah, I mean uh, the the thing oh, is I, it's I, like I, we've I, done a lot of smaller projects like this leading up to it. And I, I think one thing that we have done well, you know, and there's plenty of things that we, you know, either have not or have learned from the hard way is, um, you know, we've always really tried to put a focus on building as much like community for lack of a better, not, you know, overused word, but we, we've done a good job of creating that on, on our sets. And that's really important to us just because we want to be there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I think that was something while we didn't fully anticipate it in, in the exact sort of respect of how it happened, it was something I think that we intended to do from the beginning. We knew that to create, you know, sort of ensemble comedy, especially on a budget without rehearsals, we were going to have to work really hard to make sure that, you know, we created the right kind of atmosphere and environment. So it, I think we trusted that a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, I think when we were more optimistic and we thought we'd have more hands on set and stuff, we actually even toyed out the idea of having our own quote camp director. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> like set up oh. weekend events and uh, competitions and things. But that's awesome. It's just, it would have been production awesome. Is, production is so chaotic, and people kind of want to do their own thing and unwind a bit. I yeah. Think. So yeah. I think if they would have been because of SAG rules and stuff too, every actor except for. Ian, who's played by Luke Klein, the young teen, mm-hmm. was 18 or older. Okay. You know, so, of course, yeah. the classic, like, playing high school kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then William, William, who's played by Romel Chan, the Asian actor, he was actually 30 Jeez. when we shot. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That guy's <laughs> secrets. That guy looks like he's, looks like he's 16. Yeah, no, he's incredible. Totally. He can pull it off. That's awesome. He's a great actor. But, you know, he's in Chicago. He does Second City improv kind of stuff. That's his jam. Oh, nice. So, so much. That's a great guy. So you guys kind of answered it from your love of meatballs and heavyweights. Um, is that because of it was also based on kind of your experiences growing up? Is that why you guys said it in the 80s slash 90s, that earlier time? I think that's so. That's a good question. I think, it's I, I think we were just really influenced by the genre. And that's when, the, when we grew up. stuff was happening. Yeah. 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 And it, it's when we grew up and. Um, so Stranger Things is an 80s nostalgia. Yeah. And I would guess like 10 years from now, there's going to be 90s nostalgia. And 20 Ugh. years from now, there'll be early 2000s nostalgia because the filmmakers <laughs> will be those ages. The yeah. filmmakers will be those. I know, they're terrible. Yeah. yeah. But the filmmakers will be those ages then, I think. Yeah. That's my yeah. theory. I have a, I have a theory. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But I mean, like, look at Jonah Hill's got that movie coming out called uh, Mid 90s. That's right? true. Yeah. Definitely. That's, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Did you ever step back and yeah. say, you know, we're doing low budget. It actually could hurt us if we, cause you have to, you know, you have to get, not that, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself and feel so old saying this, not saying a VHS camera is like so hard to get cause it's a collector's piece or, <laughs> or you know, just like in the beginning where he's at his aunt and uncle's house and you kind of had to make it look like it's from the eighties. So at any point where you're like, you know what, we don't need to do it in the eighties. We could do it any camp movie. Because it might cost a little bit more in terms of props and set dressings to get the the look of the era right. I don't think it would have worked like for us anyway, and maybe that's just because it's so embedded in my mind. But I think that 
you know, to, to have a vision for something that's sort of infused with a sense of nostalgia, and especially because we were trying to create satire that wasn't mean, but that we loved, like we really had to have an affinity for the environment. And, um, I mean, this is just the one that all our memories were attached to, right? This is the one that we're attracted to. And I think it was like, it is era based, but there's this thing and maybe it's just a Michigan thing, but you know, in general, we're like camp kind of exists outside of time. And I'm really attracted to those camps that sort of stay there. There's obviously a lot of, you know, modern new camps (laughs) cut to the end of wild wealth country. Um, but (laughs) well played, but (laughs) I I don't know. I, we, I just, I think we just have an affinity for that kind of, you know, deep in the woods sort of time stops kind of camp. And and that comes from growing up in Michigan and and that sort of a thing. And I, I just don't think we even considered doing it any other way, honestly. Yeah. I think growing up in Minnesota, I would be disappointed if I went to a camp today and they didn't like wheel out an old tube TV to show me a video. Rather, like if I was ever at a camp in Minnesota like today and they brought like let's bring down our let's bring over our thirty inch flat screen and uh, show you guys some videos on our DVD. I'd be like, wait a second, let's get a Chromecast to this TV. I'm like, get out of here. This isn't camp. Yeah, what's happening? Where where are you getting that Wi-Fi from? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I, I totally get what you mean. It's like camp is just it's always stuck in the '80s. It seems like no matter like even thirty years from now they're gonna be. Stuck in the the '80s because they just want to get e- oh, kids away from everything. Yeah, and there's also there is something exactly right. Yeah, yeah. there's a something man, too that that we considered too. And I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this because this is purely a theory, and time will tell. But there are genres of film films that that happen sort of outside of time, if you will. So if you think about like Christmas movies, like they yeah. tend to sort of have this longevity because the traditions or the kind of all the things that go into that part of the subculture, they stay a little bit more static as time moves on. And so I'll go, you know, I'll go back and watch, you know, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or Home Alone or whatever. I'm not really even thinking about the fact that it's an older film. I'm just watching a Christmas movie. And I think that that also, you know, is the case with camp movies a little bit. And comedy can have such an expiration date on it. Not all comedy, but a lot of it. Um, you know, I think that that that's something that is exciting to me to watch over time. Is does the film age better because it exists in a kind of world outside of modernity? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially when you think about these genres, particularly are bringing memories of your childhood back, and so it makes sense that they're you know a little bit older. Um, especially with mm-hmm. Christmas and stuff, you think about waking up and like going down and thinking Santa's real and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Wait, what? And then, oh, sorry, did I blow that <laughs> oh, for you? No, my bad. <laughs> my no, did. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um. So now, specifically, blah blah blah. Specifically, talking about making a faith faith based film. Um, you know, it's not. I would. I would say it's not your normal faith based film. Um, did you expect Thank you. any, <laughs> you know, it's not, I would say it's, it's not for lack of a better term, it's not any more preachy than any coming of age story, which yeah, is exactly. just like, this is just life and you got to accept life as it is. And it's not beating you over the head with a message or something like that. It's, it's a fun, fun yeah, movie. I would say it almost actually, it falls more into just like the comedy yeah. camp movie genre than it does yeah. a faith-based movie. 
But yeah, yeah this, we definitely weren't great. trying to make a faith movie. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, the the <clears throat> it's a great question, and it's definitely been one that we've struggled with because when you're defining your market and stuff in your audience, you have to answer that question because six thousand movies a year are being made now, and there's maybe ten or fifteen distributors that you'd actually want to work with, and they can only take on 40 titles. You know what I mean? The odds yeah. are stacked. Yeah. So they, and they have thousands, they have those 6,000 screeners sent to them. You know, every one of them gets them. <laughs> and it's really easy to say no, right? Yeah. And it's really easy to say yes to First Reformed or Hereditary, movies that premiered at Sundance or South By or Telluride or Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of become those festivals that become kind of an aggregate for what to take on. So we said, well, what do we have? We have something really unique. We have a film that's based and inspired by meatballs, heavyweights, things like that. But we have a unique angle. We had a filmmaker friend tell us years ago when we were working on one of the early versions of the draft. Remember, if you're just making a camp film, then you're just making another camp film. And maybe this is bad advice in hindsight, but who knows? He's like, but the thing that you have, I don't think so, because that, I love the movie for what it is, which is unique. And he said that the thing that you have is you have a unique, unique angle. I've never seen a comedy at a Christian camp that's, you know, satirical and a bit edgy and, um, and all that stuff. So when we started making it, we just, we looked at saved. I mean, we shot, I guarantee you guys, we shot a PG 13 movie. There used to be girls in it that were called the Jezebels who (laughs) would would swim. (laughs) Basically they were, they were the sirens of mythology. So Uh they would lure the boys away from the purity of camp manna into the, you know, yeah into lust and <laughs> stuff like that it ended up not working <laughs> because it ended up being about something different than what we were talking about we were we were trying to explore christian subculture and satirize that a bit and and on top of that the one we grew up in which is this very strange white male evangelical subculture so it was uh it wasn't something like when you actually watched the movie with audiences, you felt them like, whoa, where did this just go? Right. It got into something else, which is another movie altogether, all, all which is the the movie about, you know, sexual repression in Christian culture. Yeah, it just went it. You know, it, we could see where it was going dark because it just wasn't funny anymore. We, it, you know, it's funny on paper. Mm-hmm. And then once mm-hmm. you start to put it all together. Not only did it not feel funny, it just it didn't feel like the type of movie that we wanted to make in terms of just I don't know character representation and values and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like it was, it was breaking all those rules of of filmmaking where you know the, the the female characters are really just far more sort of objectified characters than we had anticipated them being and things like that. And it just it just wasn't something we wanted to make, so we dialed it back. Um, and, and I think it kept by, the film a lot more life. lighthearted. Yeah, yeah it really. When you yeah. have to call those actresses who gave you a lot and were awesome and so much fun and great and tell them that they've been cut out. And it wasn't like they weren't insignificant. You know, we ended up having to go back the next summer to do two days of reshoots to, oh, again, wow. to EJ's point, dial it down a little bit. We just realized, like, if we made the film the way we shot it and we pushed it out, I think distributors were going to be even... That was kind of the advice we got when we started screening it. People were just going to be like, what? Because it has no comp. And distributors want comps. Oh, yeah. it's like, you know, yeah. Die Hard or it's like Jaws <laughs> or whatever. 
Yeah. Or they mm-hmm. or they they want something that's an easy sale because we did a movie in Australia called Arrowhead for 181,000 Australian dollars, but it's pretty it's really really ambitious because we had to build spaceships. We shot in the outback oh, wow. for two weeks. It's got over 700 visual effects shots um, that were, it was done in the vein of how my uh, paranormal activity was done with a team of guys who knew how to do the effects. Gotcha. Um, but so like, it, but that movie in and of itself had a poster. I was like, I know that this has a poster in a trailer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't, how the movie turns out is a whole other story, but it's so easily marketable. Right. And then we're now like in 40 regions. We're on Netflix with it right now. Um, it's not like it's a cash cow or anything, but it, it got distribution easily. Yeah. You know, so with Camp Mana, we had to take the, f- we had to kind of feel like we were pushing it a little bit more into the faith based quote unquote, which is a very dangerous phrase. I understand that. But push it even a little bit more into that area because our little, some of our innuendo jokes, some more of our language. We didn't dial all of that back either, of course, but we dialed it back quite a bit. We took all all the drinking, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Anything that was like a little too sexually like heavy, even, even like jokes and things that were like improv. We just dialed a lot of that, a lot of that back. And I think it's a broader film now for that. Yeah. What's interesting about that is that, you know, like, that's why I resist like the term like sort of faith based or Christian genre or whatever, because quite frankly, I can't. I would stand never watch movies. one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, is I feel like people are going into those movies going like, how do we craft this film to cater, you know, to the sort of all of the social mores that this audience will accept? Where for us, it was sort of like the opposite, where we're just going like, okay what is the bare minimum we can sort of dial back here to sort of keep, keep stay in a position where we're making a film like you described, right? Where it's more of just a camp movie, but it sort of meets a standard that allows us to market it more. And as filmmakers, as, as you know, filmmakers that own this property, we had to think about two things. We had to think about our vision. We had to think about, you know, maintaining the integrity of something funny and fun that we love. But then we also had to think about the fact that, you know, we have a fiscal responsibility to ourselves and to our investors to make this piece of property as marketable as possible so that we can go on to make another film and those sorts of things. So it's this delicate balance that you know, again, like it goes into the film school discussions and all that stuff that they just don't get talked about, right? Like where like art and commerce meet and like what is the line? And it, you know, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do to, you know, look at your film objectively and say, okay, what is the thing that is the most marketable that still maintains the vision that we had for this from the beginning? Yeah. And speaking of mm-hmm. that, did you, do you have distribution for the project already? Yeah, so we worked with a marketing company out of L.A. to secure up distribution early on. And it came back like we basically had some people early on say, well, if you took out these 12 things for us, we could like consider it because it was a little too edgy for them if they were in the faith realm. And then if they were in the non-faith realm, or, like people who at least like distribute faith films like Lionsgate or Sony Affirm, places that get, get it um, and are trying to do a little bit more with it. Uh, but we had some of those early conversations, but even from our own screenings, we wanted to reshoot the middle, primarily the middle. Um, the reason 
Bradley leaves, Bradley ends up getting in trouble, you know, was, mm-hmm. the, was the whole, was the whole premise that we had to recreate. Um, it was nice though. It was actually fun to go back and be able to reshoot. Cause I was like, gosh, I missed that one shot. I really want <laughs> quick <Yeah>. pick it up <laughs> or, um, or, uh, Jimmy came back out and we were able to do the Jesus bingo God game, Oh, nice! which it felt like, it felt like it just needed a couple more God games and things. So that was, that was nice. Um, but yeah, so distributors then when we started to present it to them in fall, spring of 17, really through summer, there were a lot of interested parties and a lot of, um, I would say deals that are obviously going one way. And we have done a couple films before our producers done a dozen films. The deals that were presented to us were basically negative deals in my opinion. Yeah. They all, nobody wants to say no. There were a lot of yeses if you can, or if you, you, you know, can provide. And a lot of it was they wanted us to bring the P and a P and a is the you know, yep. marketing budget, right? Prints and advertising budget. So, but it wasn't an insignificant amount that they wanted. They wanted, they said, you're going to have to bring us at least 500,000 in P and a, I mean, my friend just did a film that released in theaters and he had to do the same sort of thing. Um, and that, that's, that distributor needed him to do a five to $6 million P and a raise. So what, what they're asking for is a, quite an insignificant amount of money for marketing actually even. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, low budget filmmaking, me and Eric staring at each other. Are we really going to go to try to scrounge up another 500 K on this? Yeah. <laughs> or do we want this to scrounge? <laughs> Steal. Just look at those couch cushions. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so what we ended up, what we ended up doing is, so we looked at these offers and obviously took them seriously. Nobody wants the movie to sit on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, we ended up deciding and time will tell if this was the wisest decision or not to look into self-distribution and so we went that route we put the film on itunes and amazon google play and basically worked with a pr company that had done you know significant amount of films um you know or, or pieces of films for marketing and we worked directly with their marketing company we built our own social campaigns. We still maintain our own social campaigns right now and um, you know, are committed to this, looking at it more like you know, what is the long-term growth of this thing. People ask me how the movie is doing, and uh, I, I actually refuse to answer. I just <laughs> say, like, I'm not going to answer that question for two years yeah. because I know that you know, we're not Lionsgate. We're not, you know, we're not able to pump a ton of money into this, so we have to play the long game. And as we go, um, you know, especially our digital efforts, like you'd be shocked how much just social is driving the attention to the film. And it's just picking up steam slowly and steadily. How much it will pick up, you know, time will tell. But we need to give it a significant portion of time. But what's interesting about that is it's building enough momentum now that it's validating the film where it's sort of coming back around. So we just got a distribution deal in Australia, New Zealand. And I think we got that in part because we really have proven the validity of the property by self-distributing it here. And they can see the way that it's playing and getting, you know, the reactions. That's that's awesome. Uh, Before uh, we talk more about distribution, I wanted to ask you 
you know, because it all does start with financing. How'd you guys go about getting financed for this project? Oh, man. That goes well, back to the beginning, kind of what yeah. we talked about. I mean, when Eric and I did the short film, and like I said, we sort of reacted and started working together. Um, being in Michigan, we didn't really have a good platform to build off of. So we really had this sort of carrot out on the end of the stick and ended up building a commercial production company sort of around this dream and, you know, building a film community uh, in the place where we live in West Michigan and uh, sort of holding this out in front of us and then finally going after it, you know, 10 years later. And that's really, that's part of the way that we got here was by building the mechanism that we could jump off of. So some of it was, let's get to the point where we can own some of the you know, the resources to do this work. Some of it was, let's get to the point where we've built the relationships where we can, you know, call in the favors to do this work. And then some of it was really just saving and, uh, you know, putting, being diligent to put away some of our resources as we did commercial work and our commercial company grew so that we could invest in our own property. So we've got a handful of investors on the film, but we're one of them in a significant way, but it's, Again, like it's it's the long game. Yeah. <laughs> We're at it for a while. Do you see? Do you see we, that the fact that you guys like built up this network to get the financing also helped as you self distributed? Like you were able to tap into the network you you created to get the money to, for the film, and then turn to that as well to get the film out there in, in front of people's eyes. Wow. Not as much as you'd think. Honestly, a <laughs> lot of that has... <laughs> Here's what I can tell you, though. The thing is, is that having a commercial production company has been the biggest thing. Having a staff, having producers, having you know departments that are working on social campaigns or commercial campaigns or whatever, we're doing a lot of you know, re-upping on our own movie by investing you know, the talent of you know, our community in it. So it's less about like going back for more money, but that's not to say it doesn't cost, but I think we're doing it more efficiently because we're doing it in house with our own, you know, company and the, and the people we have here, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. The nice thing though, is like when you know your investors and you know them well, and they trust you, we were able to present our plan to them and everybody who, Okay, the first movie we did, we did in Mexico. It's a horror film, streaming on Amazon Prime for her. Give the name uh, so we can stream it. Thousand dollars. What's the name? No, I'm just I'm letting you know it's oh. on Amazon Prime. Okay. Uh, well, no, no. no. <laughs> What's the name of the movie? <laughs> you could. Do I review that? I was just, yeah, it's, it's, it's so it's so it's I love it. I love it. It's called Beautiful Prison. Perfect. I'm we shot it, it in Me- we shot it in Mexico. It is. When I say you've never seen anything like it, I truly mean it. Um, and one of the, I actually have had friends. I was I was telling that you need to have a. I don't know if you guys like beer, but yep. if you have a beer before and a beer every act, you'll love it. Great, fantastic <laughs> movie. Um, that sounds like our podcast. If we have a beer before, beer during, <laughs> and then three beers after, we think our oh, podcast. Oh yeah, I'm stupid. You guys, the other the podcast listen to you guys are kicking it off with like telling us what your beers. Don't worry, don't worry. So, um, I fully support drinking while watching movies. So good to know. Yes, and so it's really great. We did it for 75k. We shot 25 days, 20 in Mexico, five in Michigan. That's awesome. Um, oh yeah, it's a lot I mean, of we spe- got uh, practical effects. 
you talk about, yeah, Rob Rodriguez's mach- the machete team came down from Austin for free to do some zombie blood oh, that's effects. That's awesome. Um, yeah, they were, and they were awesome. And then we, uh, and it's my, our buddy Joel. He's just this like wild man who's got a crazy st- life story who moved on to Mexico to work with drug rehab people. And we met him on a set and he wanted to make this movie. And I was like, I read the script and I'm like, geez, dude, you're gonna need like a million bucks for this thing. You know, he's like, I got, I got 50, (laughs) (laughs) not 50 million. Sorry, not 50 million either. Right. $50. (laughs) But at that time, Eric and me had been going for six years or so on the business and we had gotten enough equipment, like some red ones and, Zeiss Master Primes and enough Kino Flows and HDMIs that I threw it in our white windowless panel van, <laughs> which got stopped about every 12 miles oh. down through Texas um, and drove into Mexico and we shot that movie. But that movie was financed by a doctor in Mexico that was an por- important part of um, you know Joel's life. The second film we did, the one that's on Netflix, that one's called Alien Arrival. I'll give you that one too. Awesome. But it, we Excellent. shot it as Arrowhead. Okay. We shot it as Arrowhead, um, but it was the title was changed to Alien Arrival because net, in 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 the West because they said nobody's going to click on anything called Arrowhead, so they called it Alien Arrival for a buzzword. But uh, spoiler alert: there's there's really no alien. What? So it's mis- a really really bad title, <laughs> um, <laughs> and also the op. This is what happens when you get distribution. They budget part of it because they also, because they changed our title, they had to change the opening, uh, uh, you know, graphic card that our buddy, Sam Balch, our VFX buddy in um, Melbourne had made this beautiful opening animation card for Arrowhead. And then they tried to mimic it. But I kid you not, I think when they rendered that out, somebody clicked 280p oh, no. or something. And so the, the very first thing you're given as a filmmaker who, or as an audience member that might click on that movie for some random reason, scrolling through Netflix, is this title card that looks janky. You know, it's that kind of yeah. stuff that just really stinks when you don't have money. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but the, money, the money for that one came from a, uh, well, me and Eric, of course, were dumb enough to put some money in, but. Also, because um, they gave us a hundred and this is our film school. <laughs> <laughs> they gave us one hundred and forty-one thousand, and we didn't. We tried to like really see how could we make it for that budget, and we just couldn't. We couldn't figure it out, so we had to put a little bit in just to like for travel costs and everything. Ah. But the further you separate yourself from the investors, the bigger you end up getting with the investor. Like that, the person who financed that was a TV studio out of Sydney is they start to make all the decisions and when they have all the money like that and they gave it to you and they're giving you deadlines and expectations, you have so little leverage on them creatively. Um, They chose the sales agent, you know, like, let's say, I'll just tell you, we've done like two or, you know, over three times the budget of that film in terms of like sales and costs and things. And we've only gotten paid back like half of what we invested in it, which seems to make no sense, Ugh. but that's just what happens when you get in with these sales agents and distributors and stuff, you know, yeah. this, this is part of our motive. You know, it seems really rash 
to go like, let's self-distribute. Like that's the future, right? You know what I mean? But the reality is, is that, you know, we had done it, uh, you know, the other way with some lesser properties, but we saw the receipts and we knew, you know, what was possible and how much was going to come off. And it's just like, unless we were going to get a significant advance on the movie, it's just really hard to make that choice. And we're, when you're fortunate enough to have, have yourself in a position where you're not, you know, you're not pressured into making a bad decision, you can kind of play that long game. So that's where that's coming from for us. It's just looking at what's happened with the other properties and saying, you know, can we do this differently or better? And, and I'm sure there's tons of things we'll learn from this that will apply to the next one, but that's the mindset. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. I don't think yeah, it sounds like, rash with, at all. With, dist- no. with distribution. Really? Well, I'm, cur- I'm actually curious, like, well, why, do you, why do you say that? Because I think we're still in a very transitionary time not to flip the inter- interview around or anything like that <laughs> well i i worked in distribution for many years and i saw the other end where there were many many filmmakers coming giving us their project and not seeing the returns that they were expecting um i just think it is transitionary right now so it is kind of like a little bit up in the air as to what it's going to be in the future but i think it's the direction to go um because I do think a lot of, not all companies are this way, but a lot of companies are a little bit predatory when it comes to indie filmmakers and their, their contracts and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's just a little bit more control for the filmmakers when it comes down to it in terms of how your movie's represented, um, where it's going to go. And nowadays with you know different advertising avenues that weren't available back then, um, I just think it's becoming more and more possible to actually get an audience to see it. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And, and no, that's that's what we're concluding as well. And the reason I went on that diatribe about how we got financing for our other movies is because on this one, the people were investing in us. So, we even had an investor. This probably isn't the best press, but it's changed a lot. He read this. <laughs> he read the script, and he was like, "I don't get it." Uh, here's some money, you know, because the greatest investor ever. Uh, I'm going to need to give his name and number after this uh, interview, just because he sounds like a jackpot. Uh, but it's it, you know what it was though. It was that what we were talking about before. The the film had been a carrot on the end of the stick for so long that it had forced us to build a film community where there wasn't one before, where we are in West Michigan. And there are other creative people in other industries around that had been observing that. And he was one of them. He had done some pretty significant stuff um, of his own right. And I think that, you know, what he was seeing is this sort of like willingness to try and fail and stumble forward. And he was attracted to that. So it wasn't just like a dude that just, you know, Scrooge McDuck us, you know, <laughs> <with> like <laughs> chucking money in the air or whatever. But yeah, no, you, you, you have a, and you, let, let me put it this way. Like, I'm not trying to be flipping either about these people. Like everybody who invests in this movie um, are going to be fine if they didn't get a nickel from us. And I'm not saying that that, excuses if they never get a nickel from us because that's not what I'm saying at all because you have an absolute moral responsibility I believe Mm -hmm. moral responsibility as a filmmaker to do everything in your power to honor every nickel that's given to you and that's what Eric was mentioning earlier we felt like our film was too out there to be a fiduciary like to be fiduciarily responsible to our investors right which is why we had to shift the film back away from a little bit craziness into something a little bit more broad but with this film now when we 
when we realized because of our past experiences with our under, other indie movies, like the first film that we did for 50 for 75 in Mexico had no chance. It was too small and too weird. We did get distribution, but we've only got, I mean, we, how do you want it? It's, there's no money. And then the second one is one that was a very much made as a product. We knew that we would get out there, but now you can see, as I mentioned, three times the budget and we don't even have half of our investment back yet, which makes no sense. Right. So for us, we were thinking, what is the best thing we can do? And it does maybe seem rash, but self distribution is the way. And I think you can see it now. Netflix is actually right. Louis CK, which is a, we can just jump ahead to the fact he's a comedian. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Five, five years, five years ago, right. When he did that self distribution online for five bucks and sold like a million of those things. Mm comedians around the around the industry from what i understand were like you know f you louis basically because now you've set this new model that i can't do because i have 1600 twitter followers and you have 16 million or whatever right so i think self distribution is going to be the way of the future and i think specifically with somebody who's got a name going yeah. forward like why would somebody want to uh, and, and Netflix is trying to nip the comedy thing in the bud by taking away people's desire to self-distribute by paying them a ridiculous amount of money, right, to do an hour of stand-up. I mean, the effort it would take just to build the website isn't worth it for some of those guys. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where we got and why we got here, because we actually believed whether or not it was the right right move long-term was that we were being the most responsible to our investors by owning it caring for it. We knew this audience for this film better than any distributor out there. I guarantee it. Um, and now it's just a matter of a two year, three year process. Having conversations with guys like you shilling it at coffee shops, whatever it is to tell people basically like that we're here because our PNA spend was so low that the only way this, these things grow as you, as I'm sure you guys know from your stuff too, is grassroots word of mouth and all that stuff. And that's what we're, we're getting into. And do you, th- now, do you so. think it would have been a little bit different? You said yourself that you don't feel any obligation and your investors will be happy. I mean, you feel an obligation, but your investors will be happy if they never see a dime from this. Do you think that helped lend you towards the self distribution? Cause it's like, you know what, if they never see a dime, they're not going to be mad at us. So if they see a dime in three years, it's just going to be a happy surprise. So we can take the time to self distribute and self, you know, publicize this and yeah. self market it because that's our investors good- are so cool. Yeah, like they believe in us and they believe in our strategy. I did I didn't say I didn't think that they wouldn't be happy if they never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't they wouldn't have to go on the dole. Yeah. Right. If they didn't see a dime yeah. is my point. Gotcha. Right? They're not gonna be Angela's ashes up in here. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> But that's but the, it's it still needs to be like uh yeah. So so it did help us because we knew that they had trust in us. Um, and Eric went to San Diego where one of our investors is with, with Evan Coons who plays Bradley in the movie, who's a co-producer on the film as well. And they had a great time with one of our investors and, and her uh, husband there and explained what we were doing. We had local meetings with our investors here and everybody was really excited and supportive. And that gave us the confidence we needed to do this. That's awesome. I mean, that's the one thing I can say right now, just, you know, we're in, the, the film came out on, 
you know, all the, the digital platforms in June. And so we're not that far into it. But the one thing that I can say already from doing this is that I think the number one most important thing when it comes to self-distribution is just attentiveness. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's so much work. I mean, honestly, like I would be lying to you if I, if I didn't say like, I, I was looking forward to, you know, handing it to a distributor and then waiting to see what happened with our movie when they, sure. you know, did all the yeah, work, yeah. right? Like, this is really hard because you have to have really honest conversations with people that, you know, you know, that are invested in the film. And you also just have to attend to it every day. I mean, we we're talking about this movie every single day amongst, you know, other projects or whatever. You're just keeping those plates spinning. And, um, you know, we got to run that marathon now. So th there's a lot, there's a lot to it that, um, there's probably things w from doing it now that we'll be able to strategize better next time, um, in terms of self distribution, how we build the team, how we, you know, uh, look at the timeline, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, the people that find you through this project, you know, you can sort of convert them into fans of yours and and utilize that for your next projects moving forward and just build from there and that could be that could be a really good thing as long as your next project isn't like something so out of you know you might not be a gay me i might be all the fans if your next project is a face eating monster movie but you know hey <laughs> you can them at least. everybody likes I, actually, I do have an idea for that <laughs> i do have, <laughs> i i have a that's basically uh it's the hangover meets from dust till dawn you know, in oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, that's never going to get made, but I do have the idea. <laughs> you never know. You never. Know. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys, so much uh, for sitting down with us and uh, talking sure. about your movie. Yeah, we appreciate it. Where can where Absolutely. can we find more info about it? Yeah, so uh, you can find it on iTunes and Google Play, and Amazon, and Voodoo, uh, Fandango now. Um, and you can follow us on social media at, uh, you know, if you go to Facebook, it's Can't Man a Movie, or Instagram, it's Can't Man a Movie. Just look us up there. And we're super active and very responsive on those platforms. And the website is www.campmanathemovie.com. So there's a whole bunch of stuff. We'll make sure we put all those links up in the show notes for everyone out there to Hit up you guys and Easy ask access. them how you got these sweet investors that are just flinging money at you. Left <laughs> <around>. <laughs> we've got, we've got, and on those websites too, just uh, if you like Busey, we have got some bizarre Busey videos. Oh my oh, God, I need to go see this right now. That's fantastic. <laughs> and more coming. That's yeah. yeah. There's a bomb that's going to drop here eventually. Perfect marketing plan. <laughs> fantastic. Well, thanks guys. Thanks so much. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that interview. Make sure, again, that if you want to find out more about the movie, go to campmanofthemovie.com. And follow them on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Camp Mana Movie. That's double N in the mana. Yep, double um, N. Make sure you, you We've got links to all this stuff. In the show notes, so check those out if you're interested. It's a, it's a good movie. We both watched it, both enjoyed it. Yes, indeed. Um, so I definitely recommend it. It's a fun little movie. Yeah. All right. And so, so shall we move on to... What is cool? I this guess week? I guess we shall. All right, we shall. So you start it off, Alex. What is what is cool? All right, I just saw this. Oh, and um, it's oh. interesting. Uh huh. I haven't done as much research as I would like to on it. Okay, but there's something called alpha platin. Oh, 
Say that three times fast. Alpha platen alpha. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I think I did it. I think you did it. Nailed it. Nailed uh, it. Moving on. Um, they are rehousing Hasselblad cameras to shoot 4K raw video in medium format. I I've known some people who've used Hasselblads for um, for their media medium format stills. Yes. Man, those are some pretty images. So nice. And I just saw some footage of the actual 4K video. And? And it looks real, real nice. Really? Yeah. Dude, I'm down. I mean, knowing how much Hasselblad's uh, cost, I fear that this will be probably super expensive. Yeah. Probably. But. Well, yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much, oh, how much are we talking? So, combined, if you purchase the, the Hasselblad camera, uh-huh. new, yeah, and then purchase the... H6D-100C digital back. Uh-huh. You're looking at um about 60,000. Ooh. Ooh, man, that is that's insane. Yeah. That yeah. is insane. But but here's okay, so here's what I'm wondering. You buy the digital back and the the camera, those are both Hasselblad. So where does El- Alpa Platon come in? Yeah, I, it's like, it's hard to really explain. It's like, it looks to be, at least, like an extra piece that comes, that uh, mounts onto like the back of rods and then is cable tethered to the Hasselblad digital back. Interesting. Um, to record the um, the raw footage. Interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. I gotta I gotta do um, some more some more research on it. But it looks like it shoots oh so sixteen bit raw. Okay. Um, on CFast two cards. It sounds like it. It what it is? It's a new housing unit. So it takes the two the two parts, the mm-hmm. digital back and the camera, rehouses it to make it a little bit easier to kind of like a work. Form factor. Yeah, better form factor for uh, digital film. Gotcha. So okay, and th- which is still like whew, that's still awesome. Yeah, um, I, I love the look of Hasselblad's, um, and I'm looking at the footage now myself, and me likey. Yeah, um, definitely. Man, the colors on it that adds, are crisp. Um, it adds uh, a PL mount, oh, which is man, nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the power supply solution. Oh man, that's that footage of some sweet JJ Abrams lens flares. Oh man, I know. Woo. Actually, you know what it reminded me of when I saw it? What's that? <sighs> if only I could remember. Hmm. Good point. Good point. I remember that too. Yeah. Who's that director um, that made that Steven movie Spielberg. with uh, Brad Pitt? Okay. Where it was just like all kind of natural light looking, and I think he also did the um, the tree movie with uh, Hugh Jackman. He also did the New World. He also did the th- um, yeah. What's that guy's uh, name? God, um, tell oh, me, oh, tell oh me what gosh. his name oh is. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! It is Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick. Yeah. Terrence totally. Malick. Got it. it reminds- yeah, it reminds you something like that. Yeah. yeah, that look looks very very similar. Um, Which I'm 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 on board with that. I'm all for that. Um, Funny story about Terrence Malick. Uh, I forget what movie he was. I think it might have been The New World. And and, um, so he's famous for kind of just like rolling the cameras. 
Mm-hmm. I also love the oncoming of digital cinema since oh, you didn't have sure. to, you know, have, have these giant magazines and all that. Um, and he, so he just kind of like lets, he wants his characters to be method actors, to live as a character, and he just kind of lets them go. He, he's notorious for filming, the shooting so much footage and yeah. then cutting it together. The, the story comes together in the editing room, literally. Yeah. And I think, I forget who it was. I want to say Christopher Bale or someone like that. They were in like the new, the new world, which is kind of like Pocahontas and John mm-hmm. Smith. And he was walking. He was walking. He was kind of annoyed that he, was supposed, he wasn't given any direction and all stuff like that. So he's walking, he's walking, and he just starts walking towards the craft services table. <laughs> and again, this is supposed to be set in like the 1700s. And so all these PAs had to scramble and take out the craft <laughs> services table rather than cutting so that it wouldn't disrupt the shot. So you, like, it just sounds like it was a mad dash to get the craft services out of the shot. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Was that um, Colin Farrell from New World? <sighs> I don't think it was him. Uh, there was another. Let me let me double check who the 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 new world. Let's see who was also in it. Uh, let's see, let's see. It was Colin Farrell was the big guy, but I'm pretty sure. Um, let's see, starring Christopher Christian Bale. Yeah, I think it was Christian Bale. Mm. I think. Yeah, I think Colin Farrell played John Smith, and Christian Bale played Pocahontas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My God, this is amazing! I he's was, so method. He's so it's unreal. Method. He blends into his his characters. <laughs> I believe he was. He played John Rolfe, who was another one of the settlers, along with John Smith. Yeah, so, all the Johns, all the Johns, because back then everyone was named John. Uh, moving on, because we on. just uh, you know destroyed this. Um, what's cool for me is it's called it's the Sackler Flowtech. Now I've talked about I think I I don't know I've I talked to a lot of people about this. Don't know if I talked about it on the podcast. Sackler kind of did a whole new kind of design to their tripods with the Flowtech, and they came out with the Flowtech seventy five, and it has a single clasp system to de- deploy the the legs. So right. it's just a, a, a plastic lever that sits on top of the legs. Pull it out, deploy, good to go. Carbon fiber. These things are supposed to be like set up real quick so you can get your shot off. Well, they just released the Flowtech 100, which has a 100 millimeter bowl for 100 millimeter uh, fluid heads. Um, and nice. uh, holds up to 66 pounds, it says. Yeah. So this is the big boy. This is the big boy one. The That'll other one, do. the That'll other one do. was kind of like a prosumer kind of thing. This one will hold. This one will hold your shit. Um, so, yeah, and it's, you know. Some good stuff. It, it also has, like, some similar features, like, um, it looks like it has a mid-spreader. Yeah, yep, has a mid-spreader. But you can take it off and then sp- spread it all the way out, like, mm-hmm. on, flat on the ground almost. And then also each individual leg has a clasp that you can release to kind of get your different angles for each individual leg. Nice. Um, you know, the the question is, would you trust your... Alexa setup or your red setup or RV 35 setup on a tripod that is only supported by plastic clasps to hold the legs in place. That's some well, of the questions. Like that's, that's what most tripods are. Our current Sackler has just little plastic True. clasps. True. Some people just have seen have been wary of the uh, the strength of those plastic clasps, but so far yeah, from sure. what I've heard, they're fine. Yeah. They're fine. So yeah. settle down, people. Um, yes. Uh, so that, that's, that's cool. I yeah. love Sackler stuff. Oh man, I love Sackler. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Cool. Yep. Uh, let's see what else we got. I saw this thing, the Insta360 Pro 2. Ooh. Did you hear about that? No, I did not. 
So it's it's a 360 camera. Okay. Uh, it shoots 8K 3D VR. Ooh, right? really? Uh, with wireless uh, monitoring and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, and they've just released a, 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 or they've announced, I guess, I don't know if it's released yet, okay. a plug-in for Adobe Premiere um, that will allow you to drop your footage in to the timeline, edit it, and then really? like, stitch it back together on export. Oh, man. Holy shit, that's awesome. Pretty cool. That's, that's the biggest problem I have with VR and 360 and all that is that it is kind of a bitch to edit. Yeah. Because you can't get into your normal programs to edit it. And that's fine. You know, you got to, you know, I guess change with the times, they say. But the fact that it has a plugin for Premiere makes it that much more enticing to kind of get. Yeah. And then what else? The other things that are cool about it, it has like built in stabilization, it sounds like. So if you're doing sort of like actiony stuff mm-hmm. or whatever, it's got some smoothing to it. That's but cool. it's also unlike some of the newer stuff that's come out that only has two cameras, like one on front, one on back. Yeah, this one has um, six. I mean, that's great. That means six lenses. They're all f two point four, so lot they're easier like relatively fast. Yeah, a lot and, easier um, to stitch, which I love. I Thing yeah. looks good, man. Looks and they like, have like a, a wireless deal going on, you can, and it looks to be an app for uh, for iOS, Android, Windows, Mac OS, and all that kind of stuff. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It looks kind of cool. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. We we dabbled in the VR for a little bit. We dibble dabbled. Uh, uh, I'm not super sold on live action VR. No, I'm um, not. Uh, it, maybe other than someday. maybe some uh, other than maybe like experiential type things, yeah. like a concert or like. I don't know. I I could see it actually working out somehow in like learning capacities and stuff like that. But I don't know about uh, making like films with it yet. Yeah, I we have me and Alex had an idea. We're not gonna, <laughs> we're not going to give it away uh, for a VR <laughs> for free. No no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Please send a self-addressed stamp to Gilded <laughs> Cinema, care of Cinema Summit. No, um, it's actually uh, we're not going to give it away. But we had an idea for a VR immersive experience that I yeah. think that would be perfectly suited for. And it's actually funny. I saw, where was I? I think I was at a mall, which shocks me that I was actually at a mall and they had like those VR like booths where you could go sit in. It was kind of like a VR, oh, yeah. but also the, the seat moved a little bit. Just like, I think I was with you. Where we you? were in Las Vegas. Oh, maybe it was in Vegas. Okay. Were, were you here for this one where they had a guy with like a towel and he would like rub it across the person's face while they're in VR and like freak them out. No. Oh, that's yeah. Funny. That's the one I saw. And I was like, you know what? That is where it's at. Like, good yeah. job, guys. Yeah. That is what I want to see. Yeah. I think we saw people sitting in the pause in the VR and the, the workers were walking around, like, touching people. And, oh, like, yeah. 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 So I, I, I get it. But, that, I mean, look, the easier VR gets, the more people are going to adopt it. And maybe we'll jump on board. We'll see. We're, <laughs> we're pretty much trendsetters. So if it gets at the point where we want to, then we'll see about it. Yep. Um, I also have uh, what's cool is the Joby Gorillapod Video Pro. Ooh. Now, everyone knows the old uh, Gorillapods. Those are the bendable arms that people put their little cameras on, uh, you know, kind of attach it anywhere. One of those things, you know, you, if you saw it, you would know if I can't explain it very well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, guess what they did? They took that and then they added You didn't even let me guess. Oh, go ahead. Um, I'm guessing wrong. Oh, um, so, um, so what they did is they added a fluid head to it. So now you have smoother pan 
and tilt functions on the Gorillapod. It's like, man, they, I mean, sure, why not? If, for little cameras, you can have some fluid uh, lefty, righty, uppy, downy. Sure. Yeah. So my initial thought, right? You okay. Never having touched this particular thing. Um, if you have a camera of a certain weight uh-huh. on this, this bendy leg tripod, right? Yeah. And you're trying to like tilt down, right? Uh-huh. And so you're kind of like applying pressure with a, a fluid head that also is like adding drag and pressure to create like a smooth tilt. Mm-hmm. Would not the legs collapse yeah, I knew below that was you? Coming. I knew that was coming. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, it could be one of those things where the legs are stronger too. I know. Some of their, they have uh, different levels of their tripod. Some of them are made of metal. Some yeah. Some of them are made of plastic. Yeah. So maybe it's like the, the big heavy duty metal ones. Yeah. I mean, sturdy. it doesn't look exactly like that, but I mean, as they've like, as the days have gone by, they've gotten st- stronger and sturdier. So maybe when they the just. Is in. Oh man. Gotta get that out of here. Yep. Can't, can't put any uh, licensed music in this podcast. Um, I think they. Well, they, it wasn't licensed. So good. <laughs> they, um, they have gotten stronger. So it'd be interesting to see, especially because yep. you're not going to put a huge camera on it. So as long as the head itself is, you know, if you're not trying to do super slow where you tighten it a little bit and you're kind of yep. cranking on the, on the fluid head a little bit, it, it might be helpful. Yeah. Uh, what right. else you got? Right. Um, so I saw this thing. Okay. For anyone who's interested in like live streaming and things Pass. of that nature, I found take a nap on this, this one, thing ahead. called Boxcaster Pro. Wait a second. You brought me back. What, what is that? Yeah. Oh. Oh, now you want to know. Maybe. Well, it's too late, mister. <laughs> um, what? So Boxcaster Pro, it's a, it's many things. They have um, a whole platform okay. that you can stream to that like multicast or simulcast to like Facebook Live, it's kind of live stream, YouTube, then. your website, but it also allows you to live stream to Apple TV and Roku. Oh, wow. Very interesting. I've never seen that before. Um, you can integrate it with Wirecast, which we've used before. Um, and Boxcast is just like the platform that streams it out to everything. But they also, they now have this thing called um, the Boxcaster Pro, okay. which is like an encoder um, sort of device. It's like a box with different inputs. For It has HDMI, BNC, and then um, XLR for audio. Oh, wow. And then That's crazy. That's pretty it, like, awesome. It transcodes it. On the fly? On the fly. 4K. Nice. 4K. Nice. Kind of cool. Um, which is exactly what leads me to my last What's Cool. Speaking of streaming to 4K, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wi-Fi Coalition, there is one, if you didn't know. Mm-hmm. The Wi-Fi Coalition has stated has come out with the, uh, the specifications of Wi-Fi 6. So, you know... All this Wi-Fi 8.801G, blah, 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 is now going to be simplified to Wi-Fi 5, 4, 3, and now 6. Hmm. And what they say with this, and they, again, this isn't coming out until like 2024, I'm sure, is you can have more devices on your Wi-Fi network. So as people, uh, as they say, the Internet of Things becomes more and more popular and uh, prevalent in homes and all your shit is connected to the internet to through Wi-Fi, this will be able to handle it without slowing anything down. And they're saying that through this uh, technology or this boost, you'll be able to stream 8K depending on your internet connection. Wow. So you can wirelessly stream 8K 
uh, as long as your internet allows it. Which That's is pretty huge. cool. Yeah. So I could stream that straight to my uh, full HD television. Your you 720p TV? Yes, yeah. you can. Nice. Man. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. You can get the show notes for this episode by visiting nobudgetfilmmaking.com slash episode 25. And don't forget to hop on over to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. And while you're there, give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined. Please. If you have any filmmaking questions, ask away in the comments section, and we will try to answer them to the best of our knowledge. And don't forget, we now are on iHeartRadio. We're on TuneIn. What? We're on Spotify. Uh-huh. We're on Stitcher. Yeah. Google Play. What? Next you're going to tell me iTunes. What? Yep. Oh, my gosh. Even though you just said to go on iTunes to get the five-star ready, I can't believe we're on iTunes. So, you can listen to us forever. <laughs> you will never escape us. And uh, don't forget to like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Instagram at Cinema Summit. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. Interview, bye.